And now, coming at you from the Five Star Physique Studio in Knoxville, Tennessee, this is The Drop Set with your host, Darren Starr. Hey everybody, how are you doing? Episode 124 of The Drop Set. Good morning, Darren Starr here, your host. It is Monday, June 3rd. Um, we are officially uh, in summer, uh, post-Memorial Day weekend. I guess that was, what, the previous weekend or something like that? I don't know. Anyway, it's, it's officially summer and it officially feels like it. Um, spent uh, a lot of time this last weekend, uh, yesterday mostly, um, outside. Uh, posted a bunch of story, a bunch of... Um, Oh yeah, stories on my uh, well photos to my Instagram story. There we go. Let's call it that. Um, yesterday, showing the the work that uh, that my wife and I did outside yesterday. Uh, lots going on. I mean, just like landscaping, flowers, mowing, yard stuff, etc. So we're kicking things off with a lawn update here. I'm going to keep it relatively brief. It looks pretty good. All things being told, from a distance, and you get up close to it, and you're like, "Yeah, super patchy." Um, I'm less worried about it. So there's only so much that I can do right now. It's uh, you know it's. 90 degrees most days. I think today it's topping out at 80. It's our one cool day for the week, and it's just not really raining much at all. We did have a little bit, um, what, I think maybe Friday going into Saturday, um, or maybe Saturday going into Sunday overnight. We had a little bit of rain, um, which was nice, um, but it just doesn't last. You know, it's, it's not enough to keep things alive. So, um, watering things mostly twice a day at this point, you know, dawn and dusk. And uh, it, it's just not practical to be doing any kind of uh, any kind of overseeding at this point. So um, that's going to wait until the fall. But in the meantime, what we're doing is we're going to um, kill off a little bit of what we've been trying to grow. And really, it's going to affect largely the, the, the patches that aren't grown well anyway. And uh, bring in some mulch and uh, just create some additional flower beds. That was always kind of the plan, um, but we didn't know exactly where we wanted them. And so my wife was thinking about it. And I'm like, well, while you're thinking about it, I'm just going to grow grass everywhere and then we'll just kill off what we don't want. So um, now we've, we've got a, a rough plan and we've got a, uh, a landscaper that will be coming by that uh, actually did our back patio and he did a, a project for us out front as well. Um, and he's going to help us and just bring in mulch so that I don't have to do it myself because... Well, I mean, do I have to explain why I don't want to do that myself? Anybody who's done it knows because <laughs> it's horrible work. That's why. So, um, yeah, it's cool. Everything's growing. It looks awesome. Um, I'm really happy with it overall. So, yeah, good stuff. Um, our, our work is paying off and just uh, patience as well. Um, so what else? What else? Um, oh, there was something else on that front. What was it? Dang it. I made it not quite three minutes into the podcast, and I already lost my train of thought. Damn it. Oh, I hate that. Um, but, uh, well, it'll come to me. It'll come to me. And it'll come to me when I'm talking about something totally unrelated, and then I'll interrupt myself, and then I'll forget what I was talking about before that. That's pretty much the way this works. Um, and, you know, if you've, if you've been here for long at all, you know that. So um, we got a bunch of, uh, a bunch of questions um, from people that I want to uh, tackle with, uh, tackle today. I don't necessarily have a whole lot myself that I want to talk about. Um, oh, I know what it was. It's my foot. My damn foot. So, um, yeah, foot update. So we had the lawn update. Here's the foot update. So let me get. Let's go in the wayback machine here. I don't think I've really gone into great detail about this before, but I've been dealing with some foot issues. Nothing serious, but it's just enough where it's like, man, this is bothering me. Doing some stuff, and you know, being 42 right now, I just feel like you know, the the older I get. It's more likely that it's going to get worse than better. <laughs> so I've been um, actually going to the doctor. Today I went to a specialist as well to uh, just, you know, a, a podiatrist just to get it really 
properly looked at, get a professional opinion on it from somebody who knows what they're talking about, um, rather than me just saying, well, I assume it's this, because, you know, my whole thing was, um, you know, being the, the dumbass that I am, like, I know for a fact this is a stress fracture. I've never had one before, but I imagine that if I did, it would feel like this. That, that was my level of assessment on it. So, um, and it's why you should never, uh, ne- never rely on WebMD <laughs> to self-diagnose yourself, because, uh, yeah, yeah, it's, it's not helpful. But it, it has these... Um, it goes through phases where it's good and then phases where it's worse. And, um, frankly, um, you know, I can, you know, machine squat six or 700 pounds. I can throw eight fifty nine hundred 900 pounds on the leg press and it feels perfectly fine. It's taking Taz for a walk around the neighborhood and going downhill where it's, it can be agonizing at times. And, you know, usually, you know, on a, on a one to 10 scale, it's like when it's bad, it's around like a four or a five. You know, it's, it's like, yeah, this kind of sucks, but it's not like I need to stop what I'm doing. You know, it's nothing like that. It's just like, this is really obnoxious and it's kind of, you know, a, a, it's uncomfortable. And it's a little painful, but you know, if it flares up when I'm in the middle of walking him, it doesn't necessarily make me, you know, call for a ride to get picked up and come back home or anything like that. It's like, okay, let's just finish this and suck it up and then I'll sit down for a little bit when we get back. Um, the first time I experienced this actually was in New Orleans a couple years ago. Um, I think that is initially what kind of started it or based on what I learned today, it may have been um, just the, the first initial flare up of this. So, um, and that was, you know, we were in New Orleans for an educators conference. So my wife was there, she was in um, conference sessions most of the day. And so I just walked around the city one day and I, I think I, I logged some number of miles. If I had to guess, it was probably around like 25,000 steps or something like that. I had shoes on that were not great. And as was my tradition at the time, I laced them up like hell, um, like super, super tight. Um, and I've since stopped doing that, but the, my, uh, my foot was kind of bothering me a little bit as the day went on. And by the next day it was excruciating. Like I couldn't put hardly any weight on it. I had to use my wife as a crutch as we were walking around town. I mean, it was pathetic. That was more like a nine out of 10 on the pain scale. That was bad. And that lasted for a while. Um, and I got back and at that point I was like, I'm not going to the doctor. No, screw that crap. And so it went on for a couple weeks after we got back home. And then one day I was just like, it feels a bit better. And then the next day it was like gone. So, uh, and I was like, all right, cool. Chalk that up as a victory. Glad I didn't have to do anything about that. Well, and then it comes back, uh, you know, some number of months later, never that bad. Uh, it, it only ever came back about as bad as I've been dealing with it lately, which is like, you know, when it's bad, about a five out of 10, something like that. So, um, but it comes back for a few weeks. It goes away for several months. It comes back for a little bit. It goes away for several months. Um, and, in, in dealing with that, it just, you know, getting older, I'm like, mm, this probably isn't ever going to go away, and I'd like to know what's causing it. And so I'm like, I know it's a stretch fracture. Maybe it started to heal, and then I was doing something with it, and it made it, you know, it, it undid the healing process. Honestly, I don't know what I was thinking. Now that I know what I know, it's like, yeah, that was really dumb. <laughs> so uh, don't self-diagnose. That's the, uh, the moral of the day, I guess. Um, so it turns out, you know, I, I went to the doctor, told him about it. He said, you know, take off for a little bit. This was back in late February, I think. And so it was at that point that I stopped taking Taz on his daily walks. My wife picked up the duties for that, bless her. Um, and uh, just giving it some rest, and it would feel a little better, and then it would flare back up again. The rest didn't really seem to be making much of a difference at all. So I went back. He did some x-rays um, at my request because, you know, it's a stress fracture, of course. Of course it is. Um, and they were fined. Shock. <laughs> 
<laughs> they were totally fine. And uh, so then he referred me to a specialist. That appointment was today. So he took more x-rays there. They were fine. Shocker. <laughs> I know, right? Um, and uh, gave him the whole story on everything. And he played around with it a little bit. And he applied pressure. And he twisted it. And you know, torqued it this way and that way. Bent it every which way. And uh, it's like, what do you feel? What do you feel? What do you feel? It's like, well... X-rays look good. You know, I don't see any signs of arthritis or anything like that. There could be some inflammation in there, but we wouldn't be able to see it unless we had an MRI. I doubt there's any bone spurs. We wouldn't be able to see those unless we had an MRI. Um, and he says, likely what it is, because I'm flexing your foot back like that, and your Achilles and your calf are fighting me like hell. <laughs> I'm like, uh-oh, I know where this is going. <laughs> so he said, you're a little inflamed in there. Um, you you just need to take like some ibuprofen for, I think you said four to six weeks, which seems like a long time. And you know, realistically, given my adherence and compliance, I will probably do it for a week and then start forgetting. Um, and he said, you also just need to stretch your gastroc and your soleus, you know, both of the muscles of the calf. Um, and uh, so I... <laughs> I reluctantly said, okay, so basically what you're saying here is I totally brought this upon myself through my lack of stretching. Okay, noted, noted. So that is my big cautionary tale to all of you wonderful drop set listeners. Thank you, by the way. Um, stretch. Because otherwise, you're going to create all kinds of problems for yourself that don't seem at all like they are related to your lack of stretching. So learn a lesson from Uncle Darren and stretch. Do your stretches. Do them separately from your workouts. Do them after your workout, but don't neglect them. Um, build them into your time in the gym or set, set a time on your calendar where you can go down in even 15 minutes. If you do it daily, then uh, you, know, you don't have to hit everything every day. Focus on your tight areas. I mean, you know, if you move around in the gym, um, you know, every movement forces a stretch in a muscle and it forces a contraction in a muscle. You know what's tight. And if you don't, you need to work with a professional that can help you identify what's tight. Um, and that, that's also a sign that you need to increase your, your mind-muscle awareness and your just overall body coordination so that you can be aware of what's tight and what isn't. Um, but uh, focus on the areas that are tight and stretch them out and find a good effective stretch for them that, you know, uh, ideally, and, and my approach on this is, I, th I think, a fairly sound one, find the stretch that hurts the most and just ease into it. Because if it hurts, and, you know, I mean, like a muscle hurt, not like, oh, my God, this feels awful on my joint. You're not trying to stretch a joint. Um, you're trying to stretch a muscle. So find the stretch where your muscle feels the most inhibited and start there easily, but then work into it. And my, my uh, uh, standard advice on a stretch is you're going for mild discomfort or moderate discomfort, not extreme pain. If you are doing a stretch where you've got to make a face like you're squatting 550 pounds um, or you're trying to push a car uphill, if you're making that kind of a face, you're stretching too aggressively. Back the hell off and chill out a little bit and ease into it and hold it for longer at that point of, you know, moderate intensity, you know, where you feel a mild strain. That's what you're going for. Let your body kind of relax and ease into it. Focus on how you breathe and just, you know, kind of kind of sink into the stretch a little bit. Let the body relax and let the muscle relax and try and get some of that tension out of there. So the thing is, like, I am really, really good at mindful stretching if I actually do it. And it's just taking the time to do it where I've struggled. So, um, and if, if a yoga class is great for you, awesome, more power to you. Eh, I know I should take one and I would benefit from it greatly. I also know that it is probably, 
um, the least effective way to get me to stretch because it is it, it is typically just a very unappealing thing. I think if I uh, a lot of it's an ego thing as well. Like I go into a yoga class and like, all right, we're gonna do something really basic now, and it feels like you know just a complete and total impossibility. Like, okay, this is basic and I can't do it. Awesome. Uh, yeah. So there's, there's there's a little ego involved for sure. I think if I just kind of ease into it a little bit and do it consistently, then I can get to the point where you know a basic beginning yoga class does not feel like a complete and total impossibility. So that is my uh, short-term goal over the next couple months. That's what I'm going to try and ease into. We'll see how that goes, and I will try and keep you posted on that. So a um, couple other things to talk about here, um, and then we'll get into your questions. So um, the first one, I neglected to, uh, to mention this on Friday, um, but uh, we lost someone in the industry last week. We lost Matt Porter. We had to say... Goodbye to him unexpectedly. Um, so there was a big long post from his um, wife on Facebook that detailed exactly what happened. I will not replay it here. I don't find the details to be all that t- terribly important. Um, you know, the, the fact is uh, he was a big voice in the industry and he's gone now and he's got a wife and a really young kid left behind. So um, I know if you uh, there is a, a GoFundMe set up to help them because he did not have life insurance. Um, he couldn't actually get it because of some pre-existing conditions that he had. Um, so if you just Google Matt Porter GoFundMe, you'll be able to find that if you want to contribute and help out his family. Um, so it, it's it's sad. It really is. And, you know, other people will speculate. It's not my job to do that. I don't care. Um, I did meet him and talk to him a few times um, several years back actually um yeah he, he he wouldn't know me from anybody but i remember him and uh, i always saw him and his wife girlfriend at the time um they were at the uh at a gym that i went to for a short stint that i lived in beaverton oregon uh you know i'm born and raised in oregon but i always lived you know mid valley area and didn't spend much time in portland at all but i did have an internship up in portland in downtown um, when i was about 30 and uh, lived in Beaverton for a short while, just a few months. And there was a gym that I went to there, and it was the most uh, horribly named gym that I've ever been a member of. It was the Extreme Edge. Super, super lame. Cool gym. Horrible name. Um, I got there, like, right after they opened up. Um, And uh, so it was pretty much always empty. There would be days when I would go in there, and I'd have the entire gym floor to myself. And it's one of those places with, like, 40-foot ceilings, huge, huge open space, lots of windows, brand new equipment everywhere. You're the only person in there. And then, you know, uh, there were more than a handful of days where uh, Matt and Rachel would walk in and it'd just be like the three of us. And they'd be like, hey, how you doing? Like, you're a big dude. You know, that kind of thing. Like, <laughs> I was I was a dork and a dweeb and didn't really know what, uh, what I was talking about. But, um, anyway, um, sorry to see Matt go. Um, the, the kind of a sad story. You can read more into it if you like. But uh, I'll, I'll save that to, and the speculation that follow for other people. Not, not my position here. So, um. What else do we have? Um, I think that's all the stuff that I really, really wanted to cover before we jump in to the big stuff here. So um, the big stuff. Let's start. Um, there was a question that came through Instagram here. Um, so where did it go? Dang it. Dang it. Dang it. This is the point where I would typically um, it'd be good to uh, to pause the recording here and then bring it up. But you know what? That's not how I roll. That's not how I roll. I've talked before about how I'm a member of this podcasters group on Facebook. And uh, they spend they, they, there's talk in that group of like, how much time do you spend editing your podcast to take out all the ums and the hums and like the noises and like you're swallowing and like taking a break for a drink. Are you serious? You people go through and you edit all that crap out. Oh my God. So first of all, um, as I take a big drink of water here, 
and I don't edit that out. Um, let me just say, uh, I apologize to all you listeners out there for apparently putting out what I never really knew was such a horrible and substandard product. So, <laughs> uh, you get what you pay for, I guess. So, um, anyway, it's like, yeah, uh, I don't, I don't, I'm not really into that editing thing. The only editing that I do is, you know, when I drop in a voicemail from somebody, uh, cause I have to drop that file into my recording program and then I, I line it up what it looks like it's correct. And then I'll, I'll give it a quick run through and say like, yep, that, that gap sounds about right. Um, and then once I'm done recording everything, I just go back and double check all those gaps to make sure they're appropriate. And usually they are. And then, uh, that's it. That's, that's the sum total of all editing that I do. So uh, that's the lazy way out. Um, so this is a question from uh, Leanne Parker through Instagram. And she, is, uh, she has had uh, good questions before that we have talked about. So uh, thank you, Leanne. Uh, appreciate it. So her question, um, I will uh, I'll just go ahead and read it direct from her. Quote, women taking test boosters, not the hardcore stuff, just the stuff you buy at supplement shops. Is it safe? Will it actually have any effect or is it just marketing? And yes, I know, but it depends. But let's presume training and diet are on point. So she totally uh, stole my thunder on my answer there. Yes, uh, it does depend. But okay, let's make the assumption that all that stuff is good. So a uh, very different answer on this question for women than it is for men. So um, let's, let's tackle the answer for men first, because that is not what she asks. So I'm going to make her wait. Um, uh, for, for men, no, no, not really. I mean, for men, you know, you have uh, typically, on average, pretty healthy testosterone levels. And that, that being uh, the, the king hormone when it comes to building muscle, that's what you want. And so some guys have, you know, naturally slightly more elevated testosterone. Some have naturally a little bit lower level of testosterone. A lot of guys are in the middle there. Um, but if you take a testosterone boosting product that you get at vitamin shop or GNC or something like that, something that's based on tribulus or something. Um, and it's going to have a bunch of other stuff in it for sure, but that's the, the main active ingredient that you're concerned about. Um, it is going to have, uh, an impact on your testosterone levels. And that is an impact that for guys is not statistically significant, like a few percentage points. What you're looking for in order to have a significant impact is something that is an order of magnitude greater. So, and that is why you get guys who will resort to testosterone therapy or t testosterone injections, because then you get an order of magnitude increase. You don't get just a few percentage points because the few percentage points. Yeah. I mean, if you're looking to maximize and get every last thing that you can, um, out of your body, okay. A few percentage points, it's not nothing, you know, it's not statistically significant. And, and more, more to my point, I would say it's not worth the cost involved either. And yes, I realize these supplements do not cost $1,000 per month. They're fairly moderately priced. I still don't really think you get what you pay for based on that. Um, for women, the answer is a little bit different. So women also have a natural testosterone level. Um, their body does produce testosterone, just not a whole lot of it. So if you get a similar increase from a product as a woman... That's going to be, you know, akin to taking, you know, a very, very low dose of, of uh, hormone replacement therapy. So, you know, for women, if, if because the, there are women who can get prescribed testosterone therapy as well. And it might be something on the order of like 10 or 20 milligrams a week, something like that. You can get a, a boost from a, an over-the-counter testosterone boosting product that is not too far off from that. So it is not completely and totally insignificant. It's still not like a total game changer. But I think for women, it's probably something that's more like to uh, it has a little bit more value. 
So um, it is something where I would say don't have big expectations, um, but yeah, I mean, it'll give you a little bit of a boost. I mean, you know, more so than taking creatine, for example, which, you know, is, is one of those few things that has been statistically shown to actually do something productive, even though it's not uh, significant. But, you know, I just came back from vitamin shop myself. I went there after my workout this morning um, and because I was out of creatine and I picked up a big tub of it that will probably last for three months for $12. So, I mean, it's not breaking the bank. <laughs> so, yeah, creatine, it, it does something. It's pretty minor, but it's also really, really inexpensive. So it's worth it. Um, and, and, and for women, I would say a testosterone, testosterone boosting product is also worth it. Is it safe? Yes. Yes, it is. I've never heard of any instance where um, women are encountering any kind of negative side effects from taking a natural testosterone boosting product. Now, understand, you know, anytime you're playing with your hormones, you know, things are, things are up for grabs. You know, things can happen, and sometimes they can be a little bit unpredictable. So I would not uh, – I, I would do it in a vacuum. Um, I would not take something like that and then shake up everything else that you're doing all at once. But if you're in a total groove with everything and you feel like your training is going really well, you got your diet dialed in, um, and you're like, I'm in a groove, I'm trying to grow, I'm trying to build right now, sure, throw it into the mix. There's nothing wrong with that. You'll get a nice little boost from it, and it'll, it'll be uh, effective. And I, w I would argue at that point, probably also worth the cost and the investment. So. Yeah, I, I think you can. Uh, I think that, that's a a fairly safe option, and I think um, I think you're onto something with that. So great question, Leanne. Um, let's see. Yeah, that was all. That was it. Okay, cool. So what else do we got? What else do we got? I got a few um, messages here. So let's start digging into those. And um, I think I've got like five or six here that we want to get through. Um, once again, the call in number for this eight six five five one eight two nine seven four. Go to thedropset.com. Um, it is too late here, but uh, we're going to talk about it today. But answer the poll question that's there while you're at it, and then scroll down. You'll find the number right there. You can click on it, call from right there. You're good to go. Nobody's going to answer the phone when you call. Don't worry. It's not like I'm going to pick up and say hello. You're going to be like, oh, uh, hey, Darren. I was just calling for the, oh, yeah, 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 sorry. Um, No, what do you want to talk about? Oh, cool, yeah. How, how are you doing? And no, I'm we're not going to have a conversation. Don't worry about it. You, I, I get that a lot of people out there are as phone shy as I am. So I don't ever answer the phone unless it's like, you know, if my wife's calling, I'll answer it. <laughs> but that's that's about it. That, that's pretty much the end of the list. So um, otherwise, don't worry about it. But call in 865-518-2974. Um, make yourself heard. Um, and uh, yeah, let's chat about whatever's on your mind. So let's go to the first one here. See what we got. Hey, Darren. It's Gabriella. Um, your New Jersey client. One of the questions that I had and I actually thought about a lot because there's a bunch of different um, opinions on it is the idea that after you work out, you have to have a meal or protein within like 30 minutes to an hour for it to be effective, I guess, um, you know, post-workout is the best for your muscles. What are your thoughts on that? Because some people say it doesn't matter when you have your meal after as long as it's, you know, within a couple of hours or is like do you have to rush home after the gym and get that protein in um, to get, like, the best results-wise, I guess, for your muscles? Um, let me know. Thanks. Ah, thanks, Gabrielle. Good question. So um, something tells me we haven't heard the last from her. So <laughs> uh, that is a good one. So we're, what we're talking about here is post-workout nutrient uptake, basically, if I want to put a fancy name on it. Um, a worthy, to worthy topic of discussion, absolutely. So, um, yeah, 
typically in most cases you're going to want a meal that's centered around protein and carbohydrates um fats optional oftentimes just because this will be one of your carb heavier meals for the day which oftentimes also means if you're at maintenance or belower that you're going to have other meals that are carb skimpier um so i will typically try and save some fats for other times throughout the day just so that i can try and balance out the overall caloric intake a little bit there's no real reason for that other than you know trying to keep your appetite a little bit more satisfied and keep you from getting too hangry um which we've also talked about here so yeah within 30 to 60 minutes eh, yeah that's decent i mean you're, what you're talking about there is the anabolic window and i've i've mentioned before and i didn't coin this phrase and i can never remember who to attribute it to i'm gonna say matt jansen i guess maybe um but it's not really an anabolic window it's more like an anabolic barn door you know it's pretty big so if you're one of those people who is um you know you've got your post-workout meal in your gym bag and you're mixing up your shake at the gym and you're chugging it on your way out the door then uh you know it's not to say you're a total doofus if you do that, because, hello, that is exactly what I do, and I've done it every day for God knows how long, years and years, decades. That's been my habit. Um, and again, I, I do that because it's habit more than anything else, because there was a time way back when, yeah, I was really worried about that anabolic window. I'm like, I just worked out. i got to get some food in my system right now. Make the most of it. You know, take advantage of this. Um, it, that's not the case. That's not the case. Um, you got time. I would typically say, and I, I, I give people a pretty big window on this, um, your post-workout meal should be anywhere from zero minutes after you finish lifting because, to be clear also, there's nothing wrong with having it immediately after you lift. Um, anywhere from zero to 90 minutes after you lift. If you do that, you're going to be fine. Outside of that, you start to miss your nutrient uptake window a little bit, but it's just you know diminishing returns. It's not like you wait 90 minutes and then your post-workout meal does nothing for you. Um, um, it's like, you know, you get a little bit less from it. Your uh, body's um, ability to uptake glycogen and to engage in protein synthesis goes down a little bit. It's not quite as productive, but, you know, it's it's like a curve. You know, it's it's not like a, a line that, that just falls off a cliff completely. So, um, but uh, 90 minutes is good if you can do that. Uh, the other thing for practical purposes, a couple other practical considerations, because, you know, I always say that science in a vacuum is pretty worthless, but let's talk about how it applies to the real world. Um most people, after they finish lifting, are effing hungry. So eat. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. Now, it might be like, well, I like to have this as my post-workout meal, uh, but I, I want to like, go back home or I need to like, you know, get to work and microwave it or something like that. And it, does take, it takes me an hour to get to work. It's fine. Nothing wrong with that. You, you got time. Um, but I'm really hungry when I get out of the gym. Okay, well, you know, get a different post-workout meal and something that's more convenient that you can have, you know, you, you can't necessarily always have everything. If you if there's a meal that you really want, but it requires a microwave and your gym doesn't have one, so you've got to drive, but it takes an hour to get to the nearest microwave because you got to go to work and you live in a big metropolitan city, traffic's terrible, and uh, you're really hungry and starving, guess what? you, you got to make a decision. Change something, but you got to make a decision. <laughs> so the um, so, uh, hungriness, hangriness, hunger, hung, hungerness. Is that, did I just say that? Did I really just say hungerness? I took a noun and added a suffix to the word to try to make it more of a noun. Hungerness. Whew. If there was such a thing as a podcasting license, I might get it revoked right now. Um, so hungerness is certainly a factor. Of course, we all knew that. Um, the other one is uh, practicality of getting all your nutrients in. So for a lot of people, especially if you're at maintenance or a little bit higher and you don't have the world's strongest appetite, like it's there, you know, if you lift and wait 90 minutes and then have your post-workout meal, great. But now 
Think of all the other meals that you've got to get in throughout the rest of the day and how much are you pushing that time back and are you going to be able to get everything in or are you going to start missing meals because, you know, you waited too long? I mean, for me, I am never hunger. <laughs> At this point, I'm about to go back on what I said before. I'm about to start editing some shit because this is embarrassing. I'm never hunger. I, I'm just never hunger. <laughs> I am never hungry. After I finish lifting, because right now, especially I'm taking in a bunch of fluids. Um, there's carbs in those fluids and you know, they're, 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 um, high molecular weight carbs that do empty from the stomach pretty quickly, but nonetheless, they sit in there for a while. And you know, after I'm done lifting, I can always look in the mirror and see like, there is one bloated ass stomach right there. Um, cause it, it sits in there for a bit and it takes a little bit, a little bit of time to empty. So I'm not hungry after I work out. However, I will absolutely just kind of force a post-workout meal in anyway, just because I know, you know, I've, I've got to get a bunch of calories in right now. And if I dilly-dally on that post-workout meal, I'm going to struggle. And uh, I, I will likely, uh, it's more likely that I will miss a meal as the day goes on. So um, for me, th there's a, a couple of practical considerations. So I, I would consider those as well. But very good question, Gabriella. What else do we have? What is next? Hey, Darren, it's Gabriella again, your New Jersey client. Um, so I did the poll on thedropset.com about the waist trainers, and I did answer, hell no, WTF. However, um, here's the thing about them. I have, like, mixed views because there's a ton of people out there that, you know, it's, it's being advertised by celebrities and this one and that one, and people are seeing this and saying, oh, my God, I can trim my waist. It's like, no, go to the gym, eat some good food, that'll do it. Not this stupid waist trainer. Like, people, I hate going on social media and seeing people, like, walking around on a normal day and be like, I'm in my waist trainer, I'm training my waist. You're really not. All you're doing is lightly compressing it and maybe increasing your body temperature around your stomach, like, a, a, like a degree or two. You're really not doing much. However, um... I haven't used a waist trainer, but I've used, like, a compression belt uh, during, like, a, like if I wanted to drop some water weight maybe before a vacation. <clears throat> like, the morning of, I'd do some uh, fasted cardio, and I'd throw on, like, a compression belt, and it really just makes you sweat around your midsection. So, you know, in an hour or two, you drop that water weight around your stomach, and you go to the beach, and you're looking good. So that's the only thing that I'm, like, okay with people using them for, but to understand that I don't think they – I mean, again, I'm not like a, you know, doctor, scientist, whatever. I don't really know <clears throat> proven effects or facts about it, but I, like, I just don't think that there's long-term effects with wearing it without exercise. Like, if you're just wearing it to wear it around the house, I know you're not going to drop two pounds in, you know, a week. I think it's stupid. It's the fact that, like, the way that it's advertised and the celebrities that use it and show it, um, you know, wearing it for, you know, a little bit of water loss like before the beach or before something while you're doing an exercise or some type of cardio, that makes sense. But I, I'm saying hell no WTF to the people that walk around their kitchen with, like, a waist chair on thinking that they're going to get, like, an hourglass figure. So those are my thoughts. Let me know what you think. Thanks. Thank you, Gabriella, once again. Are you making this popcorn there? What was that in the background? Uh, I just have this, uh, this sudden craving for popcorn right now. That's what it sounded like to me. So, waist trainers, let's have the discussion here. Going back to the poll on thedropset.com, um, we got a few more votes. So, uh, uh, Gabriella's response to the question, what most accurately sums up your thoughts on waist trainers? Uh, she and I both had the same vote. Hell no, WTF. That, that came in at 55%. 
20% said, I use or have used one and I dig it. 20% says, haven't used one, but I'm interested. And then uh, 5%, which amounts to one vote. So clearly 20 people voted. Once again, kind of pathetic turnout, gang. I, I know I get statistics on this. I know how many people listen to each episode. It was more than 20. So uh, I try to make it easy. It, it's right there. I mean, you're listening to it on your phone. You're just you're, you're plugging away. You're warming up on the treadmill. Da, 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 da. All right, cool. Oh, Darren's telling me he's got a poll online. Okay, well, let me just hit the home button on my phone, pull up my web browser, go to thedropset.com, which, you know, realistically, you shouldn't even have to type it in because it's the home page on the browser on your mobile phone, right? I'm pretty sure, or it's at least a bookmark. Yeah, right? Um, and then the poll's right at the top of the page. You just click, you hit vote, you're done. So anyway, uh, one person said, I have used one, but didn't feel it was effective or didn't like it. So, okay, that's interesting. That was a zero last time when I, when I mentioned the results last week. So um, uh, Gabriella says she has mixed views on it. I do, I do as well. She said it's not training it, it's compression. I agree because it is a passive thing. Training is something that you do actively. Um, this is a passive device. So when you talk about a waste trainer, it is not that. So I take issue with the very name, which is semantics, I understand. But still, if we're going to call something, let's find an appropriate name for it. Um, oh, I know. Why don't we call it what it is? It's a corset. Okay? It's a fucking corset. That name has been around for a long time. This concept is not anything new. Um, now, also, there, there's a, a possible uh, point of confusion here. So what you were talking about, Gabriella, not sure if it was a waist trainer so much as a sweat belt, um, which the idea of that is that that does provide a little light compression. It's like a Velcro attachment. Waist trainers will actually have like a series of little metal hooks um, that go all the way up because it's a corset. It's exactly what it is. Um, it's a corset that's been branded as a fitness device. Okay. Um, so the, the compression belt that will have like some kind of like uh, thermal, uh, thermal, uh, what, what is the thing? It's like a, it's some kind of stupid cream that you rub on. Clearly I'm, I'm showing my bias here. I think this stuff is all bullshit by the way. Um, so it's got this stuff that you rub on and it kind of makes your skin tingle and burn a little bit or a lot, depending on how sensitive you are to it. It usually has like capsaicin in it or something like that. Um, and it makes you sweat. And so you put the belt on because it keeps it in there and it keeps the sweat on there. So yeah, you're going to lose a lot of fluid weight from that. Okay. And what does that get you? Well, it gets you jack shit. Okay. So yeah, if you're, here's the thing, if you're going to do some fasted cardio and then immediately go to the beach, great. As soon as you start drinking something, all that water weight that you lost, it's coming back. I mean, you, you can't fool your body. <laughs> it's not like, man, I lost five pounds in sweat. Great. You drink five pounds of water. It's all coming back. So, you know, it, it, it's, it's dumb. I'm not a big fan of it. Not a fan. Um, there, there is a time when it could be it's the same thing as sitting in the sauna when you're 10 weeks out. I need to get rid of this water weight. Seriously? You're worried about water weight when you're 10 weeks out? Why don't you lose some fat? That's what you need to worry about. And this, this thing ain't helping that. <laughs> you know? Um, so, um, and another thing that, that um, Gabrielle alluded to is, is a smart thing. So whether we're talking about a sweat belt or a waist trainer, um, it is not a weight loss device. So even if you take it at its, at its face value and what it's advertised to be, and let's say it does that, it is not a weight loss device. It is designed to shape something, okay? So you're, you're shaping something, but you're not losing weight, um, but you're giving the appearance of that, which means what? It means overall volume is changing. Well, and it's changing around an area where all of your organs are, 
So I'm just thinking, and this is something that there will there will never be any clinical studies done because nobody is going to get a grant to study the effects of waist trainers on your internal organs. All we have to go on is um, anecdotal evidence, and all of the anecdotal evidence from this time are people who are um, affiliates for these companies that make these things who say good things about them on social media because they get some kind of incentive to do so. So it's a it's a very, very slanted market right now. There is no research on it, and there likely never will be. Um, but we can think logically about this. If you're changing the shape of your waist through some kind of you know external device rather than just trying to diet and exercise your way to a smaller and more dense midsection, which is totally appropriate, um, but actually trying to like squeeze yourself and which don't even get me started on the name of this company that, that sells most of these stupid waist trainers because just the name of it is enough to send me into convulsive fits of rage. I cannot stand it. I don't even know if I can say it. Um, like I don't want to because I don't want to promote them, but I kind of want to say it just so that I can get angry about it for a minute. Okay, here it is. Squeeze me skinny. Oh my God. I just threw up in my mouth a little bit saying that right now. That The name of that company Oh, oh, God. This is what we've come to. This is what we've come to now, where where bodybuilders are wearing a product uh, from from a company called that. I mean, God. So, I mean, what the fuck does that have to do with bodybuilding at all? Oh, my God. It's just awful. It's terrible. It's, uh, I'm, I'm outraged by this. And so, oh, my God. I need to like, I need a moment. Everybody, hold on just a second here. (sighs) Okay, I'm not really any better than I was, but I'm going to continue here. One thing that I will tell you. um, The clients that I have prepped for shows who have the smallest waists have never used a waist trainer. Um, I've never seen anybody use a waist trainer and have a physique that made me say like, wow, look at that waist that didn't already have a really, really good one before. And so there's, and, and when you see that also, you can always see like there's better development everywhere else. They're just more conditioned everywhere else. So just improving as a bodybuilder. And I will guarantee you the waist trainer has very little, if not nothing to do with it. Um, and so I would just as soon start a movement where there, it's like, you know, <laughs> like we talked about how it's like Natty verified a couple, uh, like last week or something where they're trying to, you know, start some movement where people get a check. I think we should have a checkbox for uh, like waist trainer free. Like I don't use that shit. And, you know, I've also worked with people, um, who, who have used one, like they were using it before they worked with me. And I'm like, you can stop using that. And they kept using it cause I'd see it in their social media posts all the time. And I'm like, yeah, it doesn't look like it's working. <laughs> it doesn't look like it's really working for you. I don't really see that it's doing much of anything. Sorry. Uh, so, no. It's going to be a big no for me. Um, which, you know, I don't want to burst anyone's bubble. If you're using one and you dig it, that's great. Uh, I just, uh, I honestly just, I, I don't like it from a very conceptual level as it relates to bodybuilding. I don't find it to be something that is terribly appropriate. Um, 
I don't find it to be something that has been particularly effective or useful. And all the all the instances that I've seen where there does seem to be some kind of change in the shape of the waist, there's change everywhere else as well. So it's something that could very easily be explained away by just somebody's natural progression from one year to the next. So um, and then uh, yeah, there there could be long term health concerns from it, um, just based on shifting around your fucking internal organs um, in less space. So yeah, no, not a fan. Not a fan. Uh, it was a question that uh, I think it was uh, it was Sally who uh, um, who, who she, she she brought this up and kind of uh, inspired the uh, the poll question here. And uh, she said uh, they they seem to fall in the same category of uh, female competitors swear by this WTF <laughs> kind of like uh, she also mentioned like collagen protein, fat burning creams, and other stuff like that. So. Um, which I agree. I, I agree completely on all of those things, the fat burning stuff like, uh, vasoburn, et cetera. I mean, if you are desperate, well, now if you're desperate, I'm like, no, that ain't, that ain't the answer. Because if you're desperate, it tells me that you're probably, uh, uh, far off from a point where something like that would be effective. But if you're looking for like, um, I'll give my coach as an example because I saw she posted on social media yesterday where she's going to be using Vasoburn for a while, which is, you know, it's, it's something where you put it on, it's a cream, you put it on you and it, uh, I mean, it, it promotes a, a heat related response from the body and the, the uh, thing there is, you know, it, it helps burn fat in a localized area. I'm like, well, I'm skeptical of that. If it does work, it, I'm sure the effect is minimal. Well, in her case, she just won a pro show. So minimal effect for her could have a really big difference. You know, and if, if it's that thing is going to provide an extra half a percent for her, that will make a visible difference. If you're walking around at like 12% body fat and you're looking to do something that's the same thing, it's probably not going to have any kind of significant difference for you. But when you get to the point where um, your glutes aren't just separated, but they are striated as well. Yeah. I mean, you, you can, you can see, you can get a benefit from something that doesn't really do a whole lot just by virtue of how lean you already are. It's kind of like, uh, as I've always said, when it comes to a peak week, if you're not lean enough, peak week isn't going to do much for you. If you are lean, man, you can see some great stuff happen there. But if you're walking around, you're coming to the show at like 8% body fat, 9%, 10% body fat, eh, you know, shuffling some fluid and some sodium and some carbs around, it'll do a little bit, but it's not going to make a big difference. If you're coming in at 4% body fat, watch out because you're going to have, you're going to come in looking pretty freaky if you do it right. So, um, but the thing is you're already freaky before peak week also. So if you're not in that freaky stage, it ain't going to do a whole lot. You know, it's, it's not nothing, but it's not a whole lot, which is why um, for, for a lot of people, pretty much any bikini competitor, um, just because you know, you're not looking to come in at 7 8% body fat necessarily. Um, so you're, you're naturally a little bit leaner. You're at a stage where uh, big tweaky manipulations like that aren't going to help. They aren't going to do much for you. So um, great question, though. Um, good, good topic overall, and I am glad we had the discussion. What is next? Darren, it's Gabriella, your client from New Jersey, again. I know I'm probably so freaking annoying, but I don't feel that bad because you said uh, in your last podcast that you were okay with being desperate for questions, and I have a ton of them um, because, obviously, like, I'm a new client. I'm new to – I'm not new to this sport, but new to the competition side of it, I guess. Um, and also, a lot of, of my questions get answered in the podcast, so that avoids me having to email you like 93 times, so why not everybody learn about the questions instead of just emailing? So I don't feel that bad. But 
one of my questions, and I'm not sure if you maybe discussed this in an earlier podcast or not, is what exactly is, for for starting uh, bikini competitors, like I've never competed in a show before, what is the, I guess, way or, like, line to get up to having your pro card? Like, how does it go? What shows do you have to win? How do you have to place? to be able to, like, get a pro card and then kind of compete on a pro level. Obviously, I know that takes, like, years, but just curious. So if you could let me know, that would be great. Again, sorry for all the questions, but I'm just going to pop in and I'll ask you a question, like, once or twice a week and give you some content for your podcast. So uh, thanks for everything. Let me know. Okay, so first of all, Josh in Virginia, where are you, man? Because Gabrielle is going to take your spot as co-host, so um, you're going to have to step up your game. She is uh, she is throwing down the gauntlet, and that bar is getting raised pretty high. So, man, that was three metaphors in one sentence. That was kind of uh, too much. <laughs> uh, great question. So, what is the path to a pro card, basically? And Gabrielle, first of all, so freaking annoying. You know, I can't speak to that, but I don't mind. I like all the questions. And you said, you know, you've got a million questions anyway, so uh, why not give a chance for other people to learn? Absolutely. And I tell you what, if you call in with a question that, and I, and I might just email you back, I'm like, hey, Gabrielle, I got your question. This is just a really dumb question. Nobody else cares about this. Uh, it's just you. So here you go. Here's your answer. Yeah, first of all, I don't think that's anything that I'm ever going to do. But <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, people can benefit from this stuff. And here's the thing. People start listening to this podcast, and I don't suspect necessarily that they're going all the way back to the beginning. They might go back like, yeah, I'll start with the latest episode. Well, he hasn't put another one, so I'll go back and hit like a few previous ones. So you know, my assumption, and I know that some people have gone all the way back to the beginning, and they listen to it then. I'm like, kudos to you. That's a lot of me to expose yourself to, and I'm not sure that's necessarily healthy or good. Um, and and frankly, I'm a little uh, a little weirded out by that, but I'll, I'll I'll take it. I'll accept it. I did get feedback also from a couple people. Um, uh, Dino, a guy that I've been emailing back and forth with a little bit, um, who will start working together um, towards the end of the month after my vacation. Um, he mentioned, and, and I'm assuming here that he's um, listening through Spotify because this is how um, I heard it from somebody else, but they only go back to like episode 24 or so. And the reason for that, I think, is because Spotify only archives like 100 episodes at a time. So, um, and I don't believe that I have control over that. I might. <laughs> Hold on a second. Hold on. I might. I should look that up really quick because I've got, where is it here on my... Oh, PowerPress is the plugin that I use for my website that um, is like a podcast integration thing here. And there is a setting somewhere on here. Let me oh, hold, hold the phone because I might be able to actually fix a podcast-related thing um, while I'm here. I thought there was a setting that gave me control over how many episodes need to be um, or, or how many episodes can be kept like in the uh, history um, but I also feel that it's uh, it's entirely possible that that is something that is um, service dependent. So feeds, 100 episodes slash posts per feed. Site default is 10, maximum is 300. Well, I'm going to change that right now to 200. Ha! Check it out. Um, okay, and then how do I save that? Save changes. There we go. Okay, so for for the people who have commented that uh, Spotify and 
potentially some other services. Um, only go back to like episode 24. That should be fixed uh, maybe soonish. I know it's not instant, but I think within a day or so, um, that'll be back there. So that'll be good for a while. And once I get up to episode 300, sorry, apparently I can't have that whole archive online, but everything is always available um, from thedropset.com. There's an episode archive on the website, and you can go all the way back to the very beginning, listen to it through the website, which is kind of a pain in the ass. It's not super, uh, super um, streamlined, but it does work at least. So um, anyway, Gabriella, great, great question. <laughs> great question. Um, so uh, yeah, and, and you know, bring it on. Absolutely share the wealth as far as calling into the podcast. No issues on that whatsoever. So um, I'm going to assume that we are talking about um, the NPC slash IFBB path to a pro card. Um, other organizations will have a different path, whether it's the OCB or whether it's, you know, INBF, WNBF, INBA, whatever, any one of a million alphabet soup of natural organizations. They're all going to have different things. And, you know, for a lot of them, it is much less arduous of a task. Um, like there, there are many, many times where somebody has become a pro in their first show, which honestly, I mean, kudos to those people because you show up for a first show and you win it. That's awesome. That's great. I, I think that's setting the bar for being called a quote unquote pro really low <laughs> where you do one show and you're like, I'm a pro. I didn't really know what I was doing, but I'm a pro. I think there's something to be said for the NPC and the IFBB's path where you're, you're not going pro in one or likely two shows, even though theoretically it's possible. It ain't likely to happen. Um, you got to put in some work. You got to get comfortable with the process. And I feel like um, it's definitely a little bit more rewarding. Um, it's like finishing a video game that took you a year to get from start to finish versus, you know, finishing in 10 hours of your first playthrough, something like that. So, I mean, it, it's a reward that is worth chasing and will take time to pull off. So, um, now that being said, so I mean, because you can at, at a at a small natural show like I know that the WNBF is notorious for this. Um, you can show up, and a lot of those WNBF shows are small, so you could be in a class by yourself. At which case, they won't necessarily award you a pro card. Like there has to be some competition, but it could be you know you're in a class where, where it's you and one other person, and you win that class, and suddenly you're a pro. <laughs> It's like you beat one person in your entire bodybuilding career, and now you're a pro. I, I, I'm sorry. This does nothing to d diminish from what that person accomplished, and it is, is no attack on, on them as a bodybuilder, but that does not make somebody a pro. That is, that is a really, really low bar. Now, you will find some people who go that path who absolutely deserve it. You're like, well, clearly they have a pro-level physique, sure, and you find many more people who don't. So, um, yeah, uh, I, I don't like that. So we're going to assume it's the NPC slash IFBB path to, um, a pro card. So, um, first of all, you, you have to start um, the, this is like one lane of the highway. The NPC will become the IFBB if you stay in it long enough and you achieve professional status. So there's no such thing as an NPC pro. There's no such thing as an IFBB amateur. Um, you know, if, if you are in the NPC, you're an amateur. If you are in the IFBB, you are a pro. One feeds into the other. It's like a, the farm team system for baseball. You go from the minor leagues to the major leagues, basically. So, um, 
for now there, there is some uniformity here and I don't think that has always been the case but I'm going by the rules that are posted online at npcnewsonline.com you go into rules and then um, you can click on any of the divisions here and they talk about you know here are the judging criteria blah 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 and then you scroll down it's like here is how you become eligible for the IFBB Pro League and it's the same actually for every class which is nice because I think there used to be different rules in place here so um, now uh, the first thing that you have to do is compete at the NPC level and you need to compete at a national qualifier. In my experience, most NPC shows are national qualifiers. The ones that are not are smaller shows because they aren't national qualifiers and so fewer people go to them because that's why they want to compete so they can get nationally qualified. Even if they don't have any intentions of competing at a national level, being able to throw in your Instagram Instagram profile that you're like five-time NQ, meaning that you've won a national qualification five times, some people see that as a feather in the cap. Personally, I don't care. <laughs> it's like whatever. It doesn't necessarily mean anything because still the level of competition is such that you know it it could be you know relatively easy to 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 be nationally qualified depending on how you're competing and where, um, and the size of the show because you get some shows that are just really really small. So. Um, and also, being nationally qualified and being ready to compete at the national level are not necessarily the same thing. So, um, so you need to compete at one of those shows, and it needs to be a national qualifier, and you need to do well enough that you actually get one of those NQ spots, a nationally qualified spot. So um, the wording from NPC News Online under rules says, beginning uh, January 1st, 2018, athletes must place top two in an open class at a national qualifying show to be qualified for any national level show. I lied. That is not a direct quote. I actually cleaned up their language a little bit to make it easier to understand. Um, athletes that qualified in 2017 for a national contest are eligible to p compete in a national contest in 2018. And clearly this this is old. And what they should say is athletes who have qualified for a national contest in the previous year are eligible to compete in a national contest the following year. So see NPC, if you update the language on your site, you don't have to go through and edit this page every year and update the numbers or fail to edit this page every year and look like you're always out of date. Um, also, Resuming my quote, athletes that place third, fourth, or fifth place at the USA or Nationals are also qualified for one year. Now, they do not explicitly say this, but I'm going to make the assumption, which is if you place third, fourth, or fifth at the Junior USAs or Junior Nationals, you do not get your national qualification renewed for a year. Um, so the, the, and so they don't explicitly state this, and I don't know if the rules have changed. It's entirely possible. Um, they often change their rules without posting those changes or notifying anybody because they were poorly posted and they didn't really have a notification and uh, notifying system in place before because it's a crap organization that has horrible, horrible communication and publishing standards. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to go off on that ramp. I can't help myself. Um, it used to be that the criteria for qualifying for junior USAs and junior nationals was lower than qualifying for USAs or nationals. Like, uh, I don't remember what it was, but it was like if you place top three or top five in your class, you qualify for junior USAs or junior nationals. Whereas you had to, you know, win your class or finish in the top two to qualify for USAs or nationals. We're talking about four different national level shows here. Um, so, and I, I, it looks like that may have changed. Uh, they're not explicit about it here. So I'm going to assume that uh, because they, they're, they're talking about, quote unquote, a national contest of which there are, I think they had them out here. There are seven that they had here. Um, 
Well, and then they list 10 down here below. Um, yeah, but that includes the Arnold Amateur. And yeah. Yeah, okay. So and the Olympia Amateur as well. So um there, there there's seven seven big ones. So there's there's the USA and the Nationals, there's the Junior USA and the Junior Nationals, there's um Masters Nationals, there's the Universe, and then there's the North Americans. So those are all your national level competitions. Those seven typically are the ones that we're thinking about there. Um and so th those take place, you know, Charleston, Chicago, Vegas, Miami, Pittsburgh, uh, New Jersey, and uh, two, yeah, two of them in Pittsburgh. Masters National and North Americans are both in Pittsburgh, um, and the universe is Teaneck, New Jersey. So, um, so uh, you've you've got options all over the country, pretty much. Um, which is, I mean, travel is going to be, you know, one of the, one of the biggest concerns about a national level show is, you know, practicality of travel and cost of entry. I mean, these things are expensive. The entry fee for these are a few hundred bucks. Also, it's not insignificant. It adds up pretty quick. So, uh, you don't want to do this just to say you did it. You know, I mean, if, if you're going to compete in a national level show, I want us to have a good chance of, of making a dent in there. So, so you've got to finish top two in an open class, which means if you compete in the novice class and that's it, you're, you're not getting nationally qualified no matter how well you do, which means, yeah, if you're like, I'm going to do novice and true novice. And, you know, sometimes I'll recommend to people your first show. Don't worry about the open class. And, you know, I, I've been overridden on that sometimes. I'm like, hey, open is how I get nationally qualified. What if I get lucky? I'm like, go for it. Absolutely. Um, so but I mean, there's nothing wrong with for a first show or first couple shows just competing in a novice. There's nothing wrong with that. I mean, that's the thing. This is a process that rewards patience and persistence and tenacity. And that's what I like about it. I like the fact that it's not an easy win going through the NPC to get to the IFBB. Um, does that mean that uh, everybody in the IFBB has, has really earned their spot? Eh, not necessarily. There are ways to kind of game the system a little bit. Um, but uh, typically, everybody that you see in there is at a certain level at least, which is good versus like, if you look at a lot of those smaller natural organizations where the, uh, natural organizations where the bar to, uh, get a, become a pro and be called a pro is a lot lower. You can be like, wow. Okay. You're a pro. Really interesting. Okay. Which you would think that organization would want to, you know, um, preserve their status a little bit and make sure that, you know, their pros are, are earning a little bit, but it does require a pretty substantial organizational structure underlying it. And the NPC has built that up through all of their smaller regional shows and then their national level shows so um and th those things i mean you it takes time to build up a, a organizational and competitive structure like that so i will give them kudos for doing that and i also like the fact that it's difficult and i think it should be um so top two in an open class and then you are eligible for looks like any of these national level shows which is great um and then you can pick one based on timing based on um lo locational convenience it used to be that the junior shows, the USA and the Nationals, were, were a little bit easier. They were smaller. They were less competitive. I don't necessarily find that to be the case anymore. Um, I think you're going to be up against some really, really tough, aggressive competition at whatever show. Um, so, uh, and Masters Nationals, I mean, you're, uh, that used to be uh, teen collegiate Masters Nationals. So, you're looking at like really young people or people in an older age bracket, you know, 35 and up. Um, so... Uh, that that's a, a good way. Like if you're, you know, in the, if you compete in bikini and you're, you know, 44, let's say, for example, um, do you want to compete at the USA's 
and go for a pro card against a bunch of 20-somethings? Or do you want to compete in Masters Nationals and be against people in your own age class? I'm going to direct you to Masters Nationals. Uh, if, if you want to win, uh, I mean, you know, there, there's something to be said for going, and let's say you finish seventh in, uh, in, the, in your height class in bikini at age 44. I think that is probably more impressive than winning your pro card at Masters Nationals. Not necessarily more rewarding, but I think it's more impressive. Because if you finish seventh, you know, you're up against, you know, probably 40 women in your class. And most of them are going to be way younger than you, maybe half your age. <laughs> so there's something to be said for that. I think that uh, is a much more impressive feat than winning your class outright at Masters Nationals. Which, to be said, the competition at those shows is still high. So, um, and again, not necessarily as, uh, as, uh, rewarding in the sense that you don't have a pro card, you're not walking away with a pro card. But, uh, if somebody told me that like, yeah, I'm 44, I finished seventh in, in Miami nationals. I'm like, holy shit. Are you kidding me? Uh, you know, that, that, that'll, that'll impress. So, um, and then, uh, the thing that's a little bit more ambiguous and historically this has, uh, changed from one division to the next is how then you have to place at a national level show in order to win your pro card. So you can go back uh, and look at NPC News Online and go to their galleries and look at their national... Um, national uh, let me just pull one up here. Um, let's go contests, recent contests, and I'm going to go to... Oh, come on, guys. More. It's really, really poorly designed, this website. It's awful. Um, NPC 2019 submit. Let's pull up the Junior USAs. Oh, here we go. Junior USAs, May 18th, 2019. So um, let's take a look here. So men's bodybuilding. Um, overall winner, <laughs> men's bodybuilding. Wow. Wow. So... Um, it just goes to show you here. Uh, <laughs> there were two super heavyweights. There were three heavyweights. There were three light heavyweights, and there were three middleweights. I'm sorry, four middleweights. That's it. Yikes. Um, so, figure, for example. Um, there were what? Class A, B, C, D, E, F. So, there were six classes here. Um, there were two pro card winners. Um, three. Actually, so there was the overall winner, and then um, two others earned pro cards. So, um, assuming here, let me just make sure that those were both class winners. Yeah, so the class D winner and the class C winner, and then also the um, class E winner was the overall. So, um, your, your class winners will get together and they'll compete for the overall, and then they awarded pro cards to the top three of those. So, even if you won your class at this show, you didn't necessarily win a pro card. You still had to go and earn it, which is, is cool. Um, for Bikini, um, four won a pro card. And they had A, B, C, D, E, F, G, and H. So it looks like what they're doing is they're awarding pro cards to half of the class winners. So there were eight classes there. They awarded four pro cards. Um, for Men's Physique, um, they awarded two pro cards out of six classes. So you can see it's a little, uh, it's a little scatter shot. You know, they gave it to the overall and then the runner up for the, for um, the overall as well. Um, but six classes, um, they only award two pro cards. Um, uh, classic physique. Here's the thing. So the, the number of cards they are awarding is based, uh, solely on how badly they need more people in the IFBB ranks. So because classic physique is newer, 
they gave out eight pro cards for classic physique. And that is out of four classes. So what that tells me then is the top two in each class won pro cards. They used to do that for bikini as well. I think at one point it was the top three even. I mean, it was, it was kind of wild. So, um, and then for women's physique, um, they just gave two. Um, so to the overall and then the runner up out of four classes. So I think typically it's a, it's about, you know, the top two or three out of your, you know, four to four to eight classes. Um, and, uh, then, you know, classic physique because it's newer, um, much easier, you know, still finish top two at a show like this, you probably earned it. You know, those top two are going to be looking pretty good and they'll, they'll likely, um, maybe not right away, but pretty soon be competitive in the pro ranks. So, um, so that varies a little bit and they, that, that is not a rule that they have posted on the website anywhere as far as how you earn that. So, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it is something that I think is uh, eligible for, for change on a pretty regular basis. So um, I have a whole lot more I want to go over here, but I am pretty much out of time. I'm at the hour limit, and I'm trying to keep myself down to that. So um, this may be a week where we, we do three podcasts, or maybe I'll just uh, hold on to it. I don't know. I got, I got a, lot of, a lot more stuff to go over. I got more messages from people. So by all means, keep them coming, though. I like the fact that I'm, I'm you know, I, I got stuff to go over here because it makes for really good conversation. So, um, and by all means, um, I get a lot of good feedback um, via Instagram as well. So you can message me there at Darren underscore star. Send me a note and uh, let me know what your question is and we'll talk about it. So. That's all I got, so I'm going to wrap it up here. Thank you all for listening. I appreciate it very much. Gabriella, you're the hero of the day. Appreciate that. Um, And uh, we'll check in again on Friday at the very least. Peace.